Hey y'all, well, welcome and thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Society Bites Radio and I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer. And I'm Sherry Himmer and this is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. For the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. All right, Richard. So here we are. It's fairly into the new year, and a lot of people um, always want to do better. They're always in that resolution mode or goal-setting mode, but what they really struggle is with that realization of how do they make choices because um, plans never go as planned. Hmm. And so how how do you make good choices or is there an easier way to make good choices? Because when you start out with, like, with that idea, okay, I'm going to do better today, mm-hmm. it's almost like for sure you're going to be challenged. Well, the first thing we need to understand is <clears throat> setting a goal or making a new year's resolution, a new month's resolution. Mm-hmm. It's my birthday. I have a new resolution is the, the opposite of the way you want to approach it. It's backwards. You don't start with the end in mind. You start with a system. Don't trust results. Believe in a system. So what we want to share today and over a, a sequential segments here is what does a system look like that will get you the results you want? So let's, let's be mindful of that. And we want to address um, a little bit about what we talked about, oh golly, a month or so ago on this emerging adult phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, we really went deep into what's going on with emerging adults. So is it so much that like you're supposed to not have any goals at all or do you need to have some kind of an idea? No, goals are fine. We did this in a segment on deliberate practice. So um, just as a reminder, we told the story of the gentleman who lost 100 pounds without a diet, without a trainer. All he simply did was habit stack, a new habit. But he started with the belief that I am healthy. And he said, what do I do today if I am healthy? And each step of the way, so he, the first thing he did was he came home and he changed his shoes only. And for weeks, he just walked into his bedroom, put on his athletic shoes, his training shoes, mm-hmm. walked back out in the living room, didn't do anything else, but he did change his shoes. And he habit stacked a little bit at a time. That's a 1% improvement. I want to kind of, in the spirit of habit stacking, in the spirit of deliberate practice, we're going to talk about a container or what is referred to as a foxhole. The foxhole is what's going to make the decisions for you. Here, here's what happens. Have you ever got up in the morning with a, a lot of things that you want to do on that given day? Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, this is what I really want to accomplish. Here's my results I want to accomplish by right. the end of the day. And when I do that to myself... That, that seems like when I ultimately get challenged and I'm, by the end of the day, more frustrated. And the, one of the reasons we have there is because our, our mind is saying, yeah, this is what I want to do. But we've never done taken any steps to actually allow us or give us the highest probability to move into that position. So the, what we want to do, and, and we come up, this is a, in one of the last segments we talked about. We don't want to be motivated about what we're going to do tomorrow. We want to have an implementation statement that's already pre-established within an environment that makes the decisions for us. So I already know that what I, when I go to bed at night, without thinking, I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to kind of wash my face. I might take a shower, but that's, I don't think about that. Like I say, I kind of wash my face. So do you or don't you? Uh, no, I just kind of. Okay. That's what you do. I know that. <laughs> no, but it was like, if that, that's part of your system. Is it a half-baked job on anything or 
That is excellent. You That's know what a I'm wonderful saying? point. Um, and then this, so, so I might run in tomorrow. Okay. I might get up tomorrow. Because you're kind of sounding like the language of an emerging adult with that. Oh, that's true. Yeah? I think everybody has tendencies of that. So mm -hmm. let's define. Let me finish this idea, and then we'll move into the emerging adult. Okay. Nice curveball. So the idea here is instead of psyching oneself up, there's three things that we need. First, we need to have an identity. Who am I? So if I'm an athlete, um, or if I'm a marathon runner, then I get up and I run early, right? If I'm a writer, then I get up and I write. So having the idea of who you are, that's going to be very important. If I'm someone who's productive, I'm a productive person, then I'll get up and get the 10 things on my task list. So you simply start with the mindset, I'm a productive person. Then what we want to do is establish that new habit. We have to know what we're going to do through repeated behavior. So we have an implementation statement. Tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. my day starts. I'm getting up and then by 8 o'clock I'm ready to go out the door. Notice how specific these things are. So I don't have to think, oh, should I do this or should I do that? The decision's been made. Um, we use the term the sacred. Oh, we haven't used this yet. We're going to talk about the sacred hour today, hopefully. My sacred hour starts at 9 o'clock tonight. I now know what I'm doing at 9 o'clock. And if a friend calls and says, hey, you want to come over and do this? Since I've already had the decision made for me, which is agency, I'm going to go ahead and go through with it then I know that at nine o'clock, I'm not going to my friend's house to play video games. I'm starting something different. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that okay? Yeah, and I would just say from our experience of um, <clears throat> creating these new experiences, um, we truly found that the sacred hour, the night before, is the beginning of the next day. Sets the entire second day up. Let, let me review five characteristics of this emerging adulthood, and then you'll notice regardless of age, there's, a, there's still some of We're all these, a yeah. little bit there. So first of all, emerging adults are figuring out who they are. This is called identity exploration. And with all due respect, this is not, and emerging adults is 20 to 40, ages 20 to 40. It's kind of the millennials. And I know that there will be people who argue, but I'm not a millennial, I'm 35. No, you're in a millennial. You're just the older version of, and I'm just generalizing the decade. Age 30 to 40 is the older millennials. 20 to 30 are the younger ones. Now, most people that I meet with, and that's, let me just go, it doesn't matter if they're coming in as clients or they're just associates or I meet them on an airplane, are struggling to some degree with who they are because they will seek in some fashion the three A's, the affirmation, affection, and approval, instead of letting it come to them. So we all struggle to some degree with identity exploration. Number two, instability. This, this uh, session in life, they're always bouncing among life's changes, work, education, location. Number three, they're in between. They don't feel like teenagers. They don't feel like adults. I've met 40-year-olds who don't feel like adults. They're still thinking that they're children. Um, Self-interest. And here's what's interesting. They're not self-centered, but they're free of major responsibilities. If you're not married, you don't have a mortgage, you don't have children, all you have is a job, maybe your complete focus is your dog or your cat or what you're going to do on the weekend. So you don't have any major responsibilities. So the environment that you're living in, the foxhole, isn't helping you make decisions because there's no containing. You're going bowling, but you don't know how to throw it down the alley without going into a gutter. Okay, so let's 
take the argument of the emerging adult. Well, I don't want those responsibilities because I'm still figuring myself out. And that's the fifth one, a sense of possibility. I have a multitude of options and I can be optimistic and overwhelmed at the same time. Yes. And when someone says, I don't want those responsibilities, they're going to err on the side of I'm, over, I'm overwhelmed. Okay, but that's the issue. Happiness is going to be found when you have a purpose. Purpose is always supported by hope. But if you don't, if you feel overwhelmed, you don't have hope. You feel hopeless, powerless, and helpless. Therefore, you lack a purpose. I think sometimes the twist comes in that um, the search of the purpose seems to become the purpose for emerging adults rather than an, a purpose in itself. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So I'm going to give seven criteria for flourishers, and then we're going to start the talking about how. Yeah. One, you start with an identity formation. Who are you? So we've talked about this often in here. Um, my identity statement or my vision statement starts with I have worth. Just believing through the course of the day that you have value, um, that you can have relationships based on mutual trust and respect is a game changer for how you behave, the energy you carry. If you actually believe that you're in charge of your happiness, joy, and well-being, you act differently. Your energy is different. So start with identity. Who are you? Number two, learn what it means to live a perfect life, meaning you have permission to make mistakes. It's okay. The mistake allows you to do the retake. And we talked a little bit about shadow work. Focus on the shadow. Don't focus on the mistake. There's a big difference between shadow and sin and too much rigidity is fostered in organizations, religious organizations, where they hyper-focus on the sin instead of working on the human, the shadow. Number three, purposeful socializing. Uh, like on a date, a DWAP. Are you going out with a purpose, a date with a purpose? If socializing to you is just... Um, it's just to feel good? Yeah, or just the Facebook or texting. Uh, I had a client last week, as a matter of fact, um, it was a two-hour session of which 90 minutes was telling me about a singular date he had with a girl. And he really had a rough time. It seemed like it was a fairy tale story, really, right out of the movies. The challenge was when he was saying, yeah, we were talking after the date. We were talking about this and this and this. And recognizing his age, I said, so you, you called her on the phone? He goes, no, I'm just texting. All of the communication has been via text and the fallout. You cannot develop a deep relationship with a text. You miss the critical aspects of body language and intonation. All you have are words in print, and you now have to fill in the blanks of what they mean based upon a previous experience, which is an immaculate perception. But I'm getting sidetracked. Purposeful socializing. Four, principle-based living. You own your happiness, joy, and being, and that goes with five, an environment that makes good decisions for you. That's our conversation today. Okay. What does that environment look like? But number six <laughs> and seven, connect with parents, leaders, and mentors, connect with self, and then number seven, live in acceptance. All right. Foxhole, decision-making environment. If your decisions during the course of the day are predetermined based upon what you, who you are and what you want to become, you don't get stuck in the in-between session. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen. So I'm going to outline and then um, explain what these mean. So we'll go into detail on these the best we can. 
here's my foxhole. Here's my decision-making environment that I give to all my clients. It's just a handout. Number one starts with rules of engagement. These are, I'm going to put this to me. These are my rules of engagement. How do I treat others in my space? And we'll go into detail on that one. Number two, conditions of satisfaction. What are the results of my con- my rules of engagement? So this is interesting because this sounds like maybe the goals that you want, but it's not the first one. That is correct. The first one's actually identity. The yes. second one's rules of engagement. The third one's conditions of satisfaction. There's a sequence to this. Mm-hmm. And conditions are the results of the behavior. So if my behavior is predetermined, I know how I'm going to act. And this is what I did on the first day Or with the you. purpose of what I want out of my yeah. actions. All of our dates, and I know some people um, don't quite get the full context of this, but um, it, it really works well. Every time I took you out when we were going through that courting process, I had a, a purpose. I knew what I was trying to accomplish. I was just trying to determine if we were compatible, if I could trust and respect you. But in order to do that, I had to follow my own rules. So conditions. Number three is, or let's do it this way. So number one is identity. That's the big principle behind the rules of engagement. Then rules are number two. Conditions are number three. Number four is deliberate practice. You have to learn to practice deliberately. Again, another time. Five, learn to sleep. Learn to sleep well. In other words, the entire five, six, and seven, the entire five, six, and seven segment is all about taking care of you, prioritizing you. So sleep, exercise, and diet. And then we have awareness journal and then lifelong learner. Today's conversation is rules of engagement. We're going to talk about what they are, how to implement them, and what they look like in real practice. Let me find mine. I just closed my book. So, no, that's yours. You can keep going with that one. So if you would, please, Sherry, let's just start here at the top. And we're going to go through the entire process of what does it mean to have rules of engagement. Rules of engagement are a set of self-established rules governing behavior that are designed to maximize interpersonal relationships with the intent to build mutual trust and respect. And that needs to be clarified. In my mind's eye, the term love has two meanings. One, there's an unconditional aspect of love, meaning I can see good in others. So I can love anybody based upon an unconditional um, definition of I see good in them. But that's not the love that makes the world go round. That's not the love that keeps marriages together or works with children. The love I've determined is mutual trust and respect called emotional intimacy. So what's interesting to me about these rules is that it's, it says governing behavior, which means like all my activities, who I socialize with has to fit into this paradigm of um, I'm choosing to do this, but it's my activities and my people have to be getting me trust and respect. Exactly. Because if I socialize with no boundaries, mm-hmm. then anything can go. And um, this, this will, yeah, the, the, this is the declarative statement of all things with that determine your boundaries that you're going to say. This will be offensive to the political correctness movement in the world who really need to be offended in order to drug themselves. But there are a lot of stories we get in the media that um, where someone was taken advantage of uh, and it was they were harmed 
But what we don't understand is how that person put them in a compromised position, their own selves. It does not take away the fact that they were taken advantage of. The, there should, still should be a prosecution. I'm suggesting that a lot of these challenging traumatic experiences don't happen if you're following rules of engagement. And one other thing to think about in that regard is that, okay, yeah, there are things in the world that don't go the way you want. You could even say the world often feels dangerous. And if you have anxiety about the world, having your own set of rules mm. is going to help you to be able to navigate through a world that causes you anxiety. Exactly. So as humans, we're hardwired to connect. And this strong internal drive isolates us with harsh addictions. And if we fail to connect in a healthy manner, we're going to then medicate. We covered this in the initial protocol. So in our attempt to find happiness and joy within relationships, too often we're going to fall short. And here's, and this is where I want to speak really clearly. There's a high probability it came from your food, your family of origin dysfunctions. It doesn't mean your mom and dad are bad people, although they could be. It means that every family is going to have dysfunctional behavior. It's required for you to grow. So if you can get to the point that you accept that you're going to have dysfunctional behavior, then you can you can move forward. So at an early age, we're taught this. And some of these behaviors, such as criticism, sarcasm, judging, um, constantly hammering on you, nagging you, they're masquerades for love. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm going to push you. I'm going to shit on you. Right. I'm because I love you. And and I've even seen a little bit of a tend in um, some parenting that the hyperness of that, like they turn it on and it gets more hyper. And if they're up as a parent up at night, that must mean they're loving you more because they're a wreck. Yeah. <laughs> the more of a wreck they are of a parent must mean they're more loving. And I think that's kind of a a misnomer, um, a, a lie that they're telling themselves. If I'm more anxious about my child, I must love them more <clears throat> as that, if that's going to help. That's, that's a, a symptom of a much wider problem. Oh, yeah. This quote comes from Richard Rohr. Far too many people, and this is his words, especially women and disadvantaged people, have lived very warped and defeated lives because they tried to give up a self that was not there. In order to give up yourself to, to serve others, you have to have something to give up. And if you don't have a self, I can't lose this pen if I've never owned this pen. You have to first find yourself. Who are you? What's your identity? What is your container? What is your foxhole? If you're up at night and that up at night is being shared with everyone, that is your addiction, not your children's. Yeah, it's, it's almost martyrdom as an addiction. So some make a sacrificial and heroic life, their whole identity, mm -hmm. and end up making everyone else around them sacrifice so that they can be sacrificial and heroic. And I think this feeds into the snowplow parent that <clears throat> it's the feel good of the more I do this, the more the more of a better parent I must be. And the more than I control my child's life within which then creates these emerging adults that have that are feeling very lost and have never made a decision for themselves. And that maladaptive behavior of control is what's giving them mm -hmm. their medication. And it never it's never satiable. No, it's never enough. No. So they have to do more. They have to do more. So it's not uncommon for me to have um, children with their parents in the office. Sometimes there is such love that I'm not arguing that the children don't feel affinity to mom and dad. But every now and then I've seen the teenagers turn on mom and dad and say, 
just leave us alone. We'll get it. We want to do what's right. But when we can't move left or right, when we feel enveloped, overwhelmed, it's so hard for us to do what's right because we get pushed and we, we're, we're walking on ice. So the children can't be authentic. Yeah. They can't discover their identity. And if children don't learn to fall and get up, the children will never learn to get up when they fall. And it's a when, not if. All right. So let's continue. Over the years, I've observed 10 common but maladaptive behaviors that are accepted within our society as normal. In other words, and, and you know, you saw me go through this. You, I'd come home and I'd share with you the things that I'm noticing. So we've become normed to certain behaviors and we rarely consider them inappropriate because they're ubiquitous. These 10 violations of safe space are collusionary. So collusion by definition is uh, engaging in a behavior that gets you exactly the opposite results that you want. So these rules of engagement that we're going to share with you in, in probably in the next segment are going to get you what you don't want. But yet I'm arguing so many of them society has become normed to. Now, keep in mind that let's just say, for example, um, I know what we can do. Let's go over the 10 rules. Let's just mention them and then we're going to come mm -hmm. back in the next area and cover them. So I have you mean the 10 rules of the, the 10, 10 violations, the 10 violations. And then I yeah. only really have two rules and then we'll come back and we'll do the 10 violations and then summarize. So um, I'm going to have Sherry then read the 10 violations or these maladaptive behaviors. Okay. And then just think about them before the next segment and then start asking yourself, where do they come from? And am I engaged in them? Or am I seeing this in other people? Yeah. So the first one is criticism. And I would say as a society, I mean, like, the water cooler type conversation. It's all about if you can be more critical and cutting of things or when, when say you're working at an, in an, an organization, a big office, a corporation, and the water cooler talks always about tearing down about what's not working right. Rarely do you hear people coming and like say, Hey, that was a gallant effort in yeah. our part. It's not perfect, but we're getting closer. But no, did you see that what they said at that meeting? Did you see how they made that mistake or that little guffaw or faux pas made? It's, pro it's problem-based. It's problem-based, but it's like our eyes are tuned to, um, let's find the faults. And so we are, as a society, very critical. And it is addictive so we in wanna, conversations. So we want to unzip this perhaps maybe in the next segment. And let's just really quickly go through them and then give a quick commentary. So if much. one of our rules of engage engagement of how we're going to create relationships out of trust and respect or activities that move us towards trust and respect, criticism is not it. So what we're saying here is the rule of engagement that I engage in is that I want the person that I'm talking to to be free from criticism. criticism. Okay. The next one, sarcasm. That is also an addiction in our society. Judging, relating, and do we want to define that right now? Nope. I want you to think about it. So this will be really fun. Because I can, I can. This is the number one pushback. Yeah. Number one yeah. pushback I get is is relating. Number two is criticism. And number three that I get pushback on on judgment. And that's only because it's misunderstood. Yeah. And a lot of people would look at and say, well, relating's nice. You're sharing. And it's not anything like criticism, sarcasm, and judging. But no, it is a judgment because yeah. you're inserting yourself into that space in, at the inappropriate time. The, um, the uh, teenage group will push me back on sarcasm. 
That's a big one. They don't like it when they are told that sarcasm isn't helpful. And I'll say this because I'm a woman, but most women will push back on relating because they think that's their way of helping somebody. And you know what's interesting at the corporate level? I'm getting just as many men. Really? So it's no longer just Because they've been taught you need to relate to your clients, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Here's the others. Persuasion, manipulation. We really don't like that one. Like people, that does not smell (laughs) Condescension. Shooting, and that's S-H-O-U-L-D-I-N-G, controlling and intimidation. So the, the goal here is if you are free from criticism, sarcasm, judging, relating, those are the big four, then persuasion, manipulation, condescension, shooting. Oh, I missed that one. Sorry. Controlling and intimidation. The person you're talking to is free to be authentic, to be themselves. To actually make a mistake and not feel like they're going to have the world come down on them and be judged. They're also free to be right. There are people in this world, I'm looking at one, who oftentimes will withhold their opinions for fear of being right because it'll make people uncomfortable. Someone was taught this when she was young. I didn't know this. (laughs) Not too long ago is when you were starting to share this with me. But the idea here is that means either I didn't give you permission to feel safe that you could have your opinion, or it was just deeply embedded with you, something along that line. So I just took it upon me and say, look, at it. I've got to make sure that Sherry feels she can offer an opinion around me and be right or be smarter than I am, and me not to feel intimidated and make her uncomfortable. That's the goal. It's a great burden to be too smart sometimes. <laughs> Anyways. That's pretty good. <laughs> these are those 10 things that when we're defining what we want in our container or not in our container, we're trying to not have these in our container. So rules of engagement part one, you know, what we discovered today, we're simply giving you an idea of what they look like. In the next segment, we're gonna unzip every single one of these 10 to try to help you understand the big picture, your foxhole. What environment are you living in that makes decisions for you? And we'll pick this up in the next segment. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon.